Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. In 70 AD, the Romans came and under the direction of Titus, they destroyed the temple and they leveled Jerusalem. And for just about 2,000 years, Jerusalem was trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Now, that has partially ended, but it will actually occur again. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 37, in a message titled, The Coming of Christ in Glory. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Today, we come to chapter 13, and we're going to be looking at the entire chapter. And so, we come today to this passage that is commonly called the Olivet Discourse. And it's called that because this teaching of Jesus happened on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is across the east side of the city of Jerusalem. And so as he was there with his disciples and they were observing things, this is, this is where he spoke them from. So people commonly call it the Olivet Discourse. It's also found in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. It is not in John's gospel. And in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, there are just slightly different things that kind of give us the the fuller picture. Sometimes that's what happens. Mark tends to be brief. That's kind of just his way of writing. And so sometimes Luke and and Matthew will fill in some of the blanks. So we're going to quote from both Matthew and Luke because they will at a certain point fill in the blanks for us. But the context as we see here is the temple. So Jesus and and the disciples, they had been in the temple. Last time we looked at the second commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself, but we saw in there also, remember, the poor widow, how she was there in the temple and she gave just that small portion. Jesus said she had given more than everyone else. And and so now they, they have left the temple, but as they're leaving, as we see here, As they went out of the temple in verse 1, one of his disciples said, Teacher, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. So, of course, they had been around the temple and they had visited it many times and Jesus had taught there. But for whatever reason, at this moment, one of the disciples, we don't know who it was, was just suddenly awestruck with the whole thing. And understandably, because this temple was extraordinary. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And it was just something that would even be hard for us to visualize today because it was so magnificent. Uh, If you've ever been to Greece or if you've ever just maybe seen a picture of the Parthenon on the Acropolis in Athens, now that building is like 3,000 years old, or not quite that, 2,500 years or so. You know, it's still intact. A lot of it is still intact today. And one of the things is its magnificence. You look at it and you think, that is just so amazing, this building from so long ago. Well, the the temple in Jerusalem was even more elaborate 
And it, it was a greater structure than even the Parthenon. So that'll just give you an idea. So at this moment, one of the disciples, he's just, he's awestruck by it all. So they cross over. Well, before they do that, Jesus said, yeah, look at these great buildings. And then he said this, not one stone shall be left upon another. That, that would have just seemed inconceivable. I mean, how, how could this possibly be dismantled or, or demolished? It didn't even seem like it could possibly happen. And so now they, they cross over from the temple. They go across the valley up onto the Mount of Olives. And so in verse 3, we read that as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so they're looking at the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So there's two things that they want to know. Number one, you just said there's not going to be one stone left upon another. When is that going to happen? And when will all of these things take place? Now, Matthew helps us here. He's a little more specific. The second thing they said is this. What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so that is what Jesus is going to explain to them. Now, here's the interesting thing, and it's not always recognizable, and it's especially not recognizable from Matthew and Mark. Jesus is actually talking about one event that happens twice. It's going to happen once in the near future, and it's going to happen a second time in the very distant future. And Luke is the one who tells us about the near future judgment that's going to come. And so let me read to you from Luke for a moment. Luke chapter 21. So as I was talking about the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. These are all parallel passages with slightly different wording at times, and then additional information like we have with Luke. So here's what Luke says. Luke says this, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. And here's something very specific to Luke. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. And then, but woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days, for there's going to be great distress in the land, specifically Israel, and wrath upon this people, the Jewish people. And then Luke says this, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this discourse is about the destruction of Jerusalem that will come about 37 years from this moment that we're reading about here, but it's also about the destruction of Jerusalem that will come at a yet future date to where we are right now So both things are included. Now, one of them obviously happened already. And that's where the Luke reference is so important. Because what happened already 
is that in 70 AD, the Romans came and under the direction of Titus, they destroyed the temple. And just like it says here, they would fall by the edge of the sword. They slaughtered a multitude of Jews and then they led them away captive into all of the nations and they leveled Jerusalem. And for uh, just about 2,000 years, Jerusalem was trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Now, that has partially ended, but it will actually occur again. So led away captive into all the nations, and yet now they've come back, and Jerusalem, of course, is the capital of Israel under Jewish leadership. So there's that first event and now, as we pick up now, we're talking about something that is not yet happened, something that will happen in the future. And so that is in regard to the second question. What is the sign of your coming in the end of the age, as Matthew puts it? So when will these things be? They happened in 70 AD. But what is the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Now, Jesus goes on, and beginning in verse 5 through verse 13, he shows us what the age will be marked by. So it's important for us to understand, and, and let me just say this, this is, these are complicated things here, and there's all different kinds of opinions among Bible teachers and commentators and even Bible scholars and, you know, just how do you sort out exactly what Jesus is talking about? So we're going to do our best to understand what he's talking about. But I think it's, it's very important to understand that Jesus is talking about time as we have known it since his first coming to right to this very moment. And then he's talking about a very specific period of time that hasn't started yet. So verses 5 through 13 describe time and history as it has been since Christ came to this very moment. And look what he says. The age is going to be marked by, well, verse 5, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. It's going to be marked by religious deception. There are going to be false messiahs that will come. And then it goes on and it says, but when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and there will be famines and troubles. And these are all the beginning of sorrows or the beginning of birth pains. So this is what, has transpired since the time of Jesus to this very day. Many false Christ have arisen. Many false religious systems have arisen since then. The world itself has been plagued by wars and rumors of wars and nations rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And of course, there's been catastrophes. There's been earthquakes and famines and floods and all kinds of troubles these are the things that have marked this age, and it's the age that we're still in at this moment. 
But, and one additional thing, as Jesus goes on to say, there's going to be persecution. Watch out for yourselves. They will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings. Verse 11, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate. Verse 12, now brother will betray brother, father his child, and, and so on. You're going to be hated. So persecution is another thing that has marked the age. And like I said, it's, it's the way things are today. And they've been that way since the time of Jesus. But verse 14 is where everything changes. Verse 14 takes us now to a specific time that has not yet come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down into the house, nor enter and take anything out of his house. And let him who's in the field not go back to get his clothes. Those who are pregnant or nursing in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter. For in those days, verse 19, there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. So, this is what we call, this is a description of what we call the great tribulation. And right here, I I want you to um, look with me at verse 19, as I, I just read it here, verse 19. In those days there will be tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the creation. So we know at the, since the beginning of the creation, the greatest catastrophic event that's ever happened is the flood, the flood of Noah's day. But Jesus said that this tribulation is going to be even worse than that. And so this is the, the time of, of the great judgment that God will bring upon the earth for all of these thousands and thousands of years of revolt against him. There's a judgment day that's going to come. Now, in order to understand this point, this point where everything changes, we have to think about Daniel for a minute. So, because he refers to something that's spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So remember, and we did not too long ago, we were in a text that we talked about some of this stuff. But let me remind you that in Daniel, in the ninth chapter of Daniel, it's revealed to Daniel that he's going to be given information about the culmination of everything, basically. And he's told certain things are going to happen. And when these things happen, prophecy will be fulfilled. The most holy will be anointed. Everything is going to come to its final conclusion. And he's told that this is going to take place at the end of 77-year periods that are yet determined for the Jewish people. Now, 
Daniel's getting this understanding at the end of a 70-year period that they had just gone through, a 70-year period of captivity in Babylon. And so Daniel's thinking about what does the future hold, and the angel reveals to him, actually, there's another 70-year period coming, but it's not 70 years, it's 70 times seven years. So it's, it's a 490-year period. But the period is going to be broken in two. The first part of it will be 483 years, 69 of these seven-year periods. And then there's going to be one final seven-year period that will complete everything that God promised to the nation. So... Daniel, in the ninth chapter, verses 26 and 27, here Daniel is told that the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So the Romans did that in 70 AD. That's exactly what they did. They destroyed the city and the sanctuary. But then it goes on in the next verse, verse 27, It says, then he shall confirm a covenant for one week. Now, the he is the prince that was just previously referred to. So the prince of the people who are to come. So the people, as I said, were the Romans. The Romans, it's historical fact, the Romans destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD. So this prince who comes from that people He is going to establish a covenant with them for one week. So the first 69 weeks, the first 69 seven-year periods, that's the word week just means seven. That's the literal meaning of the word. So 69 seven-year periods, at the end of that, something happened. And Daniel told us about it. We just didn't read it. The Messiah came, but he was cut off. He was executed. He was put to death. But he didn't die for himself, it says. But then it goes on and talks about the destruction of the temple and so forth. So Jesus comes. It ends the 69, seven-year periods. There's one week left. That's the point. There's one week that still hasn't been fulfilled. So in the future, there's a prince that's going to come, and he's going to confirm the covenant with the Jewish people for one week, for for a seven-year period. But here's the key. He, in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So halfway through the seven-year period, which is three and a half years or two, 1,260 days, or 1,290 days as it, as it has it here. Um, at that point, he's going to break the covenant. And that's what Jesus is talking about in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, then Mark adds, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain. So everything else is in the context of that final three and a half year period. So everything that we read from verse 14 on is, it happens after that event. So here we are today, and just as Jesus said, wars, rumors of wars, famine, false Christ, 
persecution. These are the things that are happening. At some point, this prince is going to make a covenant with the Jewish people. We don't know when that's going to happen, but at some point in the future, he's going to make a covenant. We don't even know what the covenant entails. Some have suggested that it's going to be a, an agreement that will allow them to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. That very well could be the case. The Bible doesn't say that's the case, but it could be the case. Seems like a reasonable guess. So the covenant will be made, and for three and a half years, the Jewish people are going to be in, man, this is the great, that's the greatest thing. This is what, what we've been waiting for. We've got peace around us. We're rebuilding this temple. But halfway into it, this person is going to go into the temple. And Paul tells us this in 2 Thessalonians. He's going to go into this rebuilt temple. The temple is assumed, so it's going to be rebuilt at some point. And he is going to command everyone to worship him as God. He's going to declare himself God and he's going to demand to be worshiped as God. That's the abomination of desolation that Jesus is talking about here. And as we read it in Daniel, he's going to put an end to the sacrifice and offering. So the sacrifices and offerings will be resumed, but he's going to stop it all and say, no, I'm the one you worship me. And Revelation chapter 13 gives us even more insight because it tells us that there is both the person we commonly call the Antichrist, but there's also a false prophet. And he's going to make an image and it's going to be the image of this man that's put in the temple and everyone is going to be then called to worship. So that will bring about the great tribulation. So the time of God's wrath, this great tribulation that Jesus is talking about, that there's never been anything like it before, this is actually a three and a half year period. And it's going to be from that moment when that abomination of desolation is set up, that's when the judgment will begin. So we have, as, as we've seen, a time of trouble, verse 19, verses 21 and 22, we have here a reference to this person we call the Antichrist. And here in verse 21 and 22, it doesn't specify the individual or the two individuals, but it says, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, or he is there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will rise, and listen, they will show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So this is where, again, Paul tells us they have this this supernatural power given to them, this false prophet and antichrist from Satan. And they're working signs and wonders. So that's what Jesus tells us. But then verse 26 tells us about the actual second coming. So verse 26 says, then uh, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars of heaven will fall. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So remember the question. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus, this is it. This is, this is the sign. The abomination of desolation. That will be the trigger. That will be the signal that the end is here 
and his return is September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. Everyone loves a story of an unlikely person overcoming insurmountable odds. And as Christians, we all want to be used by God in great ways. The story of Gladys Allward is the story of both. A woman who was rejected by the China Inland Mission due to being unfit and uneducated, but used greatly by God to reach the lost in China. A London Sparrow chronicles the Christ-led adventure of Gladys Allward's perilous and solitary journey from London to China through a war zone and prison. Be inspired by what God can do through a life that is surrendered to Him. We encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order A London Sparrow. The inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.